Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Here I am, still embraced by a fading dose of COVID, so please perhaps forgive my voice. We're continuing this series on things that I wish I'd known, and one of the truths that I wish I'd known very early in life is the power of simple encouragement. Every parent has probably experienced one of those mummy-daddy-watch-me moments when a child triumphantly learns a new skill, riding a bike unaided, swimming their first width of the pool, writing their name for the very first time in those huge, delightful letters. The child longs for their parent to show enthusiastic interest and encouragement in that moment of development. And I want to celebrate the truth tonight that our God is the God of encouragement too. He is interested and watches our progress in life and our pain with passion and not detachment. When I first became a Christian, a church I visited regularly had a huge Gothic inscription above the pulpit. The King James English now seems quaint, but every time I went there, I felt that the words of the preacher were wonderfully buttressed by the truth of that biblical text emblazoned in fading gold paint. He careth for you. It's a quote from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Surely God does care, particularly as we struggle across life's battlefields. He cares when we hit those heady moments of temptation, when you and I are standing at the crossroads of moral chaos if we make the wrong choice. Heaven surely is on tiptoe with God's angelic friends willing me to choose holiness and godliness, yelling their support from that stadium on high, the loudest roar of encouragement emanating from the throne of God himself as the Father cheers me on. And if we Christians are to be like the God that we serve, surely we need to embrace a practice of daily encouragement, be proactive, intentional, strategic. Let's think about encouragement tonight and even choose this week to be just a bit more encouraging. The man fiddled with his impossibly tight tie His Sunday morning church attire was slowly strangling him. For a long moment, he stood silent and then at last spoke to me without actually looking at me. His unsmiling face chilled words that should have been warm. I need to thank you for your ministry, Jeff, he whispered hesitantly, apparently studying a fascinating object that hovered three feet above my head. He continued, but then we give all the glory to the Lord, don't we? I wouldn't want you to get proud. I thanked him and so wanted to deliver him of his constricting tie and of his hesitancy to encourage. I wanted him to know that Christian leaders are more likely to succumb to despair than to conceit, but he quickly fled, leaving me with a sad realisation. In some churches, there's a famine of encouragement. Faithful, hard-working souls live in the suffocating atmosphere that pervades when appreciation is rare. Working hard in the hope of a final well done that will come when all is said and done, they live shriveled lives in the meantime. Starved of warm words that might spur them on, they hobble on. And the assumption is that serving God, it's just reward enough, which is quite wrong, because the God we serve urges us to encourage each other. Encouragement transforms, it energises and empowers 
as the glorious Olympics and Paralympics always demonstrate. The crowd is always the genuine all-rounder of the Games, remarkably making a huge impact at every event. I remember the Games held in London. Commentators chattered about the home advantage or the fifth man in the boat that was the crowd. Athletes looked wide-eyed and some openly sobbed as the crowd roared. Some women back then even sported Wigan-esque sideburns in support of Bradley Wiggins. Not a usual fashion choice, but effective nonetheless as we willed Team GB to win. The deafening choruses of support acted like adrenaline, urging spent muscles and weary hearts on to greater exploits. A German journalist said that the London crowd deserved a gold medal. Sprinter Marlon Devonish in an anti-doping campaign, announced that the crowd was his only drug. So why was the crowd the X factor that can help so many athletes to medal glory? More than a wall of noise, surely the crowd met the athlete's primal need that we all share, the need to be noticed, approved of. As I mentioned earlier, as children, we crave the eye and encouraging words of a parent as we wobble on our bites, bring home the chaotic painting, or use a toilet successfully. Hopefully, not all three at the same time. And encouragement is the fuel that can lift our heads through our darker days when the valley is filled with shadows. That truth was poignantly demonstrated at a three-day event, a triathlon of sorts, involving incredible physical stamina, steely mental fortitude and emotional staying power. The demands were gargantuan and so a team huddled together the night before the event and their prospects weren't looking good because they were exhausted before they started. And then the next day the home crowd turned hostile. They switched allegiance, dumped their national hopeful and cheered for a champion from another land instead their chant was an ominous betrayal. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify that man. And so, on Transfiguration Mountain, the voice of the great encourager spoke loud and clear to Jesus before he went to the cross. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. That voice had spoken before, just before another battle, that one for 40 days and nights. This is my beloved son. I am pleased with him. Spurred on by that encouragement, Jesus lived. Urged on by that familiar, encouraging voice, Jesus died. So let's go ahead. Make someone's day. Catch him doing something right. Search out the soul who's usually taken for granted. Thank the ticket collector on the train. Smile at the traffic warden. Write a note to that Sunday school teacher who has told the big story to countless squirming six-year-olds for decades. Some of them are in their thirties now, but few have come back to thank her. Win a gold, as it were, as an encourager. And let's know how to receive encouragement too. Some Christians seem to go into a panic mode when they're confronted with warm appreciation. A lady approached a minister and thanked him for his sermon, which sent him into a spluttering disclaimer with much pointing to the sky. Don't thank me, madam. No, please. The Lord did it. Give him the glory. Her reply was insightful, if not terribly encouraging. Well, she said, actually, it wasn't that good. 
We're talking tonight again about things I wish I'd known. This week, encouragement. I've said it before, but can we admit that we Brits can be frightfully good at being negative? There are times when I fly into Heathrow and feel as if a big wet blanket of pessimism has been dropped upon me from a great height as I walk into the arrivals area. Perhaps it's our frequently dark satanic weather, a nation with a summer that doesn't usually last more than 45 minutes or so surely has a right to feel a bit glum. A leading politician recently bewailed what she called the great British disease of negativity, and perhaps she's right. Our negativity is not only evidenced in our turn of phrase, we're never doing well, rather we're not too bad, or we can't complain but also in the bizarre reality that we seem to want people to not succeed. We celebrate the underdog and savage the achiever. We're nervous and suspicious of the successful. Is that just jealousy, thinly veiled? And then there's the way that we greet or don't greet each other. We are all fairly gifted in the art of totally ignoring strangers, feeling that someone who actually speaks to us especially on the tube, if there's not been the preface of a formal introduction, well, perhaps they're somewhat forward and therefore rather iffy. At worst, this verbose, over-friendly person may well be someone to be much avoided. Pity the bored passenger who tries to kick-start a conversation in that railway carriage. He or she might be viewed with the suspicion normally reserved for an escaped felon. And this is not just a secular problem. I have experimented with saying hello to strangers at a number of Christian conferences. I occasionally like to catch people's eyes and then offer a warm good morning. At times, the response or lack of it can be astounding. Time after time, people respond by just giving me a go-away-from-me look, or they just ignore me altogether, which, of course, is their right. But isn't it a little strange A couple of times, having been totally stared down and coldly ignored, I wander on and am tempted to say quite loudly, all right then, not good morning. Negativity can turn us into hunters who are always looking for a prize problem. I've met Christians who are constantly on the lookout for something to be upset about in their churches. Life for them is one long, tiresome hunt in dogged pursuit of the next irritation. They attend church services and meetings subconsciously hoping and almost praying that there will be something that will displease them and trigger them into another opportunity for a good old gripe. So where does this virus of negativity come from? Is it a leftover from a World War II generation that were bombed into believing that there might not be a horizon beyond their horror? They certainly had every reason to lose hope as they cowered in underground stations during the Blitz and dared not expect too much. So have we, a younger, unbloodied generation, embraced some of their stoicism without ever having experienced the tremendous, horrendous pressures that they face daily? One antidote for the negative bug is encouragement and affirmation. A friend of mine has, in my opinion, the greatest gift of encouragement that I have ever witnessed. He's the type of chap that would be great in a crisis. If you were unfortunate enough to get your feet run over by a truck, not only would he drive you to the hospital, but he'd also offer to buy your slippers. 
he can always be relied upon to come up with some jaunty comment to help bring a little sunshine into an otherwise dingy day. We were playing golf together one time and my golf is totally appalling and should probably be videoed for a look at this useless twit before he took this golf training kind of product. I teed off and promptly drove the ball right into a lake. I was not happy and was tempted to mutter an expletive like, oh dear. When my friend jumped in with a smile as big as the bunker that I'd narrowly missed on the way to the water feature. Great shot, Jeff, he exuded, slapping me on the back. Now I know that you are a superficial cheesy type person who says absolutely nothing of substance or authenticity, I replied. How could he congratulate me on such a dreadful performance? I reminded him of the facts of this situation. Look, I just hit the ball straight into the water. He smiled. You did indeed. But Jeff, you just hit the ball. Sad as I am to admit that connecting golf club to ball constitutes a golfing triumph for me, he was right. In that sense, it was a great shot because it was a shot, no matter its ultimate wet resting place. So, come on, let's build churches that are truly countercultural. Let's raise our glasses in gratitude, make affirmation and gratitude our common currency, and do our best to try to catch someone doing something right. That way, we'll represent Jesus better. After all, He's the one who promises to cut the ribbon of eternity by greeting his faithful ones, not with a list that says, could have done better, but with a simple two-word welcome. Well done. As we've been thinking about encouragement, let's ask, let's consider, who is there in our orbit that could use a phone call, a handwritten note, an email, a kind word from us today? With random acts of kindness, let's go ahead and make someone's day because our words might transform a wintry, dreary day into an unexpected springtime. And remember, it's not just about the words we say. We can also encourage by receiving the words of others, in short, by listening to them. One casualty of the hypermedia age is the simple art of truly hearing others. It's been said that most conversations are dialogues of the deaf, exchanges between those who are perfectly able to hear audibly, but just don't really listen. An attentive listener is rare. When we listen, we make a profound statement with our pause, our silence. We communicate encouragement that others really matter, that their opinion does count. When we listen, we demonstrate patience, showing that we are willing to travel with others in their thought processes as they think out loud. And by listening, I make a statement about myself, that my own voice is not the sweetest sound in my ears. Jesus spent so much time speaking, encouraging, and then, yes, listening, not just talking. The one who really did have so very much to say made space for others to talk. He listened. Sometimes it's true. We say it best when we say nothing at all and just listen. And when we speak kindly and listen attentively, we become just a little bit more like God. When you and I, when we give authentic encouragement, we become Christ-like. 
because let's celebrate this truth. God is such an amazing encourager. See you next week. Lucas on Life. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.